it's truly been a comedic routine of what the Ludi family's been going through in the past couple weeks. But let it suffice to say, exhaustion, physical exhaustion would be perfectly reasonable. For me to just like collapse in front of you would be perfectly reasonable, okay? And we could all look at it and go, he's been really working hard. As you come over and so someone get a, a wet, a damp cloth for, for Eric. You come over, poor guy, he's really been, you know, going through it. You could do it. It would be justifiable, okay? I could make my plea and you could say, oh, poor guy. I don't look for any sympathy in this life. I know what I'm in for when I stand for Jesus Christ. I understand it perfectly well, and this is why this message is so important. Because I don't need to have that little rag on my head as I'm laying on the floor fainting in front of you. Uh, because God gives me something for the job, and as a result, I can chuckle at everything that's happening around me, as opposed to whimper and moan and groan and complain. And that, you have to realize, if you could catch this as a Christian, that there is never a reason why you need to whimper, moan, groan, and complain, that you have something available to you, that when times get difficult, and situations in life mount up against you to the point where it begins to just hover at you like that wave just crashing over you. You see it happening. That there is something to draw from that can cause you to turn and look at that wave and chuckle and laugh. Well, you'd want it, wouldn't you? It's there for the taking. Well, that's part of what this message is about. And so not only do I go through last weekend, nonstop, travel back, I haven't been able to live in my house for the past, you know, what has it been, nine days because we're going through some type of containment process where we have to get this bacterial stuff out of the air, and uh, I don't want to go into any more detail than that. But uh, let me just say it's been quite humorous uh, what we've gone through, and we thought we were going to move back into our house today. I got back in the middle of the night from Boston last night, and that's after 14 sessions of speaking, Friday and Saturday. They, they assigned me 14 sessions, uh, and that's an hour each. Okay, that is a lot of speaking. Uh, so Friday night, I was thinking, my voice was starting to go, <laughs> uh, and I was speaking so loud on Friday night, I was really getting into it. And I was thinking, I have like six more sessions in the morning, six hours the next morning. Then I, you know, drive to the airport an hour, five-hour flight, or four and a half, uh, from Boston. And I'm in the, in the middle of the night. I wake up this morning, and uh, poor Rich, Le uh, Leslie's dad, is sick. And so we move out of the house this morning because we were staying in the Runkle's house. He's sick. And so we, we move out of the house. We have no idea. We're driving down the road. We have no idea where we're going because we can't go back to our house yet. <laughs> so we're in a hotel right now. And that's just sort of, <laughs> it really has been fun. My kids are, what's funny is my kids are loving it. They're in a pool right now, you know. And everything, but from the adult standpoint, you look for stability. You know, when you have four kids, we have three cribs set up in a hotel room right now. <laughs> Les, uh, the kids woke up from the nap, and, and Leslie goes, oh, no, we don't have any baby food. Uh, he's like, we have all these kids waking up, and we have all these little kids, and we don't have any baby food, and I need to take the car to come here. So how no, so we're trying logistically to figure out how we're going to get baby food and get me here for a meeting. So it's, this has been absolutely hilarious, the whole thing. And so when I say that this message is actually very appropriate, it's right where I'm at right now. This is the truth that Eric Ludy needs. Okay, so I called this Wings as Eagles. Now that will harken back, for all of you that you know, have your good biblical background, it harkens back to Isaiah 40. Of course, if most people, when they pick their favorite verse, so, a lot of people, in fact, for a whole season of my life, Isaiah 40 was my favorite verse. Okay, and so it's a good verse. But listen to it. Let's just read it afresh. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Now, that is an actual promise of the heritage of God, the people of God. Now, to most of us, that's good poetry. To walk and not faint. To run and not grow weary. You know that the race that we are called on to run as a Christian? Could you imagine if you actually came to the conclusion, I will never grow weary? Never. Because there's a promise that says, I don't need to grow weary. And I will walk and I will not faint. Well, most of us don't think about it as an actual promise. 
we take it as nice-sounding language for when we are weak and when we are weary, we read this scripture and go, oh, thank you, God, that I don't need to be. You know, but we, we still languish in it. You know, as we are weak and as we are weary, we read this to try and comfort ourselves. It's, it's like comfort food in the Bible. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Meanwhile, we're wanting. But we read the scripture over and over again to comfort ourselves to say, well, you know what, at least there's a nice sounding scripture in there that talks about me not wanting. Meanwhile, but it's not real to us. It's like I used to always say that about Psalm 91. And it talks about no plague shall come nigh your dwelling. You know, he shall bear the, oh, the, the angels shall bear thee up in their wings, lest thou dash their foot against a stone. I guess it's in their hands. Bear, their up in, bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. All these amazing promises in that. And who actually expects that to be true, though, in their life? And then people say, well, that's not for today. Well, who was it for? Do you see a lot of Jews living that out? Uh, in other words, what is this for? Who is this for? The canon of Scripture is just as good today as it was then. That's the principle of canon. It doesn't fade. The reason the New Testament is even validated is because it builds upon the old. It builds. Yes, there's been a covenant shift. But that doesn't mean that the power, the might, and the ability of God to intersect the, the life of a human being is suddenly altered. He's like, yeah, I used to be able to do that for my people. But now, you know, I'm, I'm not able to do that. I've given you different things. You know, now you just get to go to heaven in the end. Meanwhile, you're floundering around and growing weak and faint and weary. It's ridiculous. Okay, so let's, let's get a little raw material out here out on the table. 1 Peter 4, 7 and 1 Peter 5, 8. So you'll see a little dot, dot, dot that combines these. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. You know the word sober, to most of us, applies to uh, alcohol, okay, or the opposite of having alcohol. In other words, inebriation is what you get when you drink alcohol, and sober, or sobriety, would be what you get when you don't. And so most of you are thinking, oh, I'm sober. Yeah, in, in the technical sense of not being drunk with wine right now, you probably are sober. But you may not be sober, spiritually speaking, and that's what it's talking about here. Because sober, a sober mind is a mind that is clear and focused and sharp. In other words, there's no fog in it. You ever felt fog in your life where it's just like, you know, I'm just so tired. When you're tired, you're not necessarily sober-minded. When you're fogged, what do you do, oftentimes do when you start to get tired? This is, a, this is a good test for all of us as Christians. When we start to get tired, well, one of the things we could do is fall asleep. Okay, that, that's one. That's a, sort of a basic option. Uh, two... You just, you've had a really difficult week, okay? So some guys, and I'm a man, okay? So I, I know the propensity of a man. You could flick on the TV. You could open the newspaper. You could do something, or you could just sit in that Barca lounger and go, oh, boy, daddy's tired, okay? And is it reasonable that daddy's tired? Absolutely. Why? Because daddy's been working hard. Men fall for this all the time. And that is that we have been working hard, and therefore there's a natural effect that that has upon the human body, the human psyche, and there's a need for replenishment. Okay, I mean, to, to say that that dad should just come home and say, hey, I'm fine. Yeah, I just worked all day. Yeah, I haven't sat down for, you know, 48 hours. I worked the night shift. Yeah, and I got back up. I did it again. And, you know, daddy's just going to come and play with the kids and be happy. That's hard stuff. But this is the test of truth in the human frame. How does it work? God says, be sober. This isn't the only place he says it, by the way. This is, study sober in the Bible. It's a very fascinating thing because this is a huge thing to God. New, Christ, New Testament Christianity, be sober, be sober, be sober. It's like, hey, I'm not drinking alcohol, okay? That's not what it's talking about. Yes, inebriation through alcohol is one way that we lose clarity. And when you lose clarity and you lose perspective, you start to do stupid things. That's why being drunk is dangerous, because you lose a sense of placement, of reality, of context. You make dumb decisions. The enemy, one of the worst things you could ever do in battle, is have a, you know, route the enemy, yes, and then come back to your camp and celebrate. Celebrate a little too early. And they get drunk, and what happens? And all the movies and all the books about war, 
That's always the, the smart commander says, we attack them tonight. What? Why would we attack them tonight? We just lost today because they're celebrating tonight. We're going to get them when they're not sober. And th then the, all the men are sitting there, you know, hiccuping in, the, in their camp, you know, and they're, you know, and they're easy prey for a defeated enemy. You catch that? They're easy prey, get this, for a defeated enemy. Who's defeated? Satan. And we become an easy prey for a defeated enemy when we lose our sobriety. We turn to a movie. We turn to a television show. We turn to something to escape. Well, it could be drugs. It could be alcohol. Yes, it could be something more extreme that the Christian church frowns upon. But there's plenty of things. A video game. How many guys or girls escape into a video world and lose their connection with their context and their placement in their life, have no idea what the battle is that's raging around them because they're lost. And as a result, look at the second half of this. Be sober, be vigilant, which means watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. Who's he looking for? He's looking for those that are not sober. They can't see. They don't understand that there is an enemy in their midst. They don't realize that they're in hostile territory. When a soldier goes to bed at night, he keeps his weapon right by him. Because he always needs to be ready. There's nothing wrong with going to sleep. But spiritually, you should never go to sleep. Ever. There is never a moment on planet Earth that you are supposed to close your eyes spiritually. That you are supposed to tune God out for a season. You know, I just need two hours away from God. That's all I need. Just give me a movie. I need two hours away from all this serious stuff. I need to just, I just need to veg. Famous last words. How many times have you ever walked out of a movie and felt the slime? And it was a fine movie. I mean, compared to the others. It was, it was fine. And so you justified it in your mind of why it was fine for you to behave that way and to spend two hours that way because, hey, you're at least not doing what other people are doing. Meanwhile, you lost spiritual perspective the whole while. You were slimed with the world's opinion, with dark matter. It's all over you. You feel it as you're walking out, and so you're having a discussion with God. Um, <clears throat> sorry, God. I'm sorry, that was stupid. I don't know why I did it, but I'm sorry. You're trying to pray because you feel a disconnect. You ever felt that? It's a disconnect. It's like you were unplugged. And you're realizing it now because you're holding the plug in your hand. You're like, oh, I was unplugged the whole time? You're, it's like your cell phone battery just ran down. You're like, oh, no. You, you have not, no juice left in you. And so you're trying to plug it in, but you're feeling a little awkward because you have to plug it into God. And so you have to come to God to do it. So you're like, um, yeah, I'm sorry about this. Uh, uh, and you're plugging back in. And the whole while, you feel like you need to discuss it with God. It's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. That was a boneheaded thing to do. I have no idea why I did that. And uh, here's my point. There should never be a need for that discussion. There is never supposed to be a time where you pull out. You are supposed to stay connected. You are supposed to stay sober. Because we know that a movie in and of itself isn't the problem. It's the detachedness that oftentimes a movie creates. For instance, there are movies, and it is a rare exception amongst all the movies out there, but there are movies that actually keep you connected to God. Okay, So I'm not saying that there has to be a disconnect just because you are watching something that is on film. That isn't the issue. It's when you turn to film to escape, and we do it purposely. I think video games actually, I mean, for me, I won't even touch one. And as, I'm not going to say that it's an immoral thing. A video game's an immoral thing. I'm not going to make a statement like that. That's stupidity. However, you know what happens to me? I remember playing SimCity. This is about 12 years ago, okay? I, got, I don't know how I got it, okay? But somehow it was on my computer. <clears throat> yeah, this looks interesting. You know, I built a little building here. <clears throat> I mean, it's so ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, just looking at it, it means nothing. It did, did nothing. It didn't accomplish anything in my life. But I was so taken by it. I was so intrigued. My mind, when I was not working on it, I was thinking about what I should be doing. I was coming up with strategies. I was in this world. I was not sober-minded. And I, I would sneak off. Leslie would be like on the phone with someone. Sneak off. And I'd sit there. I wasn't looking at pornography. I wasn't doing you know, those things that all oh, the bad guys are doing. I was playing Sim City. 
And God got me. It was like, Eric, I don't have you anymore. You're unplugged from me. This thing is standing between you and me. And it's not that the thing itself was immoral. It's that it was causing a breakdown of my spiritual life. It was robbing my attentions and my affections from Jesus Christ. And so I literally, I got so mad at this game. Took it out. I don't know if I broke the disc or what. I don't remember if it was on a disc. I don't remember. I don't know, but I remember getting so mad. I got rid of it. And it's like, never again. I still haven't played a video game since then. I mean, I, I've had people come up to me, oh, you should play uh, this with us, Eric. It's, it's great. It's harmless. You know, we do it once a month. No way. Because I know my weakness. And I know my attraction to it. Movies? I love a good movie. And so Leslie and I are extremely guarded with how we approach that dimension of our life. I don't really watch TV, so that's not a huge problem for me. Some people, like, just the reality shows of our day are addictive to them. And they find that their, their week is built around an anticipation to unplug during that little portion because I'm, I'm connected, God, the rest of the time, but I need that time to disconnect. You have an adversary, and your adversary is prowling about, and he is seeking whom he may devour. And the secret to your spiritual life Maintaining a constancy and a guardedness is to maintain a sober soul and a sober mind. The enemy doesn't have an access point. Okay, now some of you are very uncomfortable now. I want to read this story to you. It's a story that you've all heard, but I want just to, in the context of that, let's read it. Okay, this is the Garden of Gethsemane, and right before the Garden of Gethsemane where Peter makes his boast. And it's a boast that many of us in this room make even though we don't make it the same way. Let's read this. And Jesus said unto them, he's speaking to his disciples, all of you shall be offended of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I'm risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, I will not. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crows twice, thou wilt deny me three times. But he spoke the more vehemently. If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. So this is us. When, when we, someone says something like, be sober. You, know, you don't want to do something like this. You have to be watchful. Because the enemy will snag you. It won't snag me. I'm going to be faithful. I won't fall for those things the rest of the culture is going for. I sure do realize that the church today is distracted. But I won't get distracted. Oh, Really? Before the cock crows twice, you'll be distracted three times. And that's us. It is. Okay, where was I now? <clears throat> Likewise, also, also said they all. They all agreed. They were all standing with Peter's opinion on the matter. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. The ultimate proving ground of the weakness of the flesh. Gethsemane. We all Christianity is in a Gethsemane, and it proves that we can't. Okay, no, let me keep going here. And he said to his disciples, sit ye here while I shall pray. This isn't that difficult of a request that he's making. Stay sober. Remain vigilant. We're like, oh, okay. Why am I getting tired? No. The moment you enter into Gethsemane, oh, you just you're so tired. You can hardly just keep your uh, drool starts in like oh slap your cheek I'm I'm awake I'm awake (laughs) sit ye here while I shall pray and he taketh with him Peter and James and John and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy and saith unto them my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death tarry ye here and watch and he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou will. And he cometh and findeth them sleeping. And saith unto Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon sleepest thou? Couldst thou not thou watch one hour? Listen to this statement. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Why is he supposed to stay up? Why is he supposed to remain alert? Why is he supposed to remain sober-minded? Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. I know what it means to have heavy eyes. I have felt that. 
where literally I cannot. I mean, I, I know God is saying, Eric, I need you right now. And it's just like, I can't do anything about it. My flesh is so strongly pulling me into that pillowcase. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Well, sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. A temptation was coming upon these guys. And if they don't stand up and watch, if their souls aren't readied, if they aren't toned, when that temptation comes, they're going to fail. And they did. When that temptation came, they weren't ready for it. There was no fuel for a proper response. What was the temptation? Well, Jesus was taken in as a criminal. And anyone who's identified with this criminal is going to be treated the same way. Hey, aren't you one of them? They all fled. The sheep were scattered. They did not stand firm and true with Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not really desiring to flee at the moment of testing. I don't want to do this. But I acknowledge what it says. And that is that there is a problem in me. That I am weak and I am unable to do what Jesus Christ is asking, even though it's so basic. And that is so important in this story, is to realize what he's asking them is not, you know, go bench press a, a thousand pounds. And they're like, oh, really? Okay, I'll try. What he's saying is, could you stay up and watch with me? And he says, see, even the most simple task when it comes to obedience in the midst of this hostile territory that you're in, you are standing up against an enemy, and this enemy will destroy you. You do not have what it takes. There is something within you that wants it, but you have a problem known as your flesh. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is, and I've dealt with that problem on the cross. Peter, before Pentecost, was defeated. He couldn't do it. Peter, after Pentecost, was standing in front of thousands, preaching the glory of the cross. Something changed. The impartation of Christ, which was purchased on that cross. We have something available to us to be able to live differently than those three men lived that night. However, all of us identify with that. That's us. And God wants us to see it in the mirror. He wants us to realize, yeah, that's you, isn't it? Boy, my eye's heavy. Just reading it. Oh, I felt it. I felt God say, sit with me and watch. I felt it, and I've fallen asleep. Personal testimony. Not happy about it. I've done it. I've known that something was in this end. The battle was at its hottest point, and I didn't want to fight. I was tired, and I justified in my mind. It's like, I've been working hard. I've been doing this. I've been helping these people. I, I don't have the reserves, God. He's like, oh, I know you don't. I do. I'm your reserve. It's my strength that you live by. Most of us don't live by God's strength, and we don't expect to. We live by natural powers. And as a result, when we get tired, we say, I'm tired. There's nothing wrong with sleeping. But when God asks you to stay awake, what do you do? You stay awake. Well, wait a minute. If I stay awake, I'm not going to have you know, enough energy for tomorrow. Want to make a bet? You stay awake on God's dime, God pays for your energy the next day. He gives you what you need to obey him. He doesn't just tax you and then leave you and you're like a heap the next day. He gives you what you need. He gives you wings as eagles. All right, let's keep going. I've either sparked your interest or sparked your anger. Because <clears throat> I'm poking at some things here that are sort of uncomfortable. And by the way, if I was going to describe what I think is one of the most dangerous things for men today, it's this exact thing. And some of you have heard me talk about it because I've poked at this every now and then. But men struggle with tiredness just as a, as a baseline thing of what we deal with. And I'm sure women do too. But men are supposed to be watch, watchmen over their homes. And we come home to the most critical time of our day after working all day. We come home. And what do we get immediately? Tired. She's so tired. And so we sit there, and guess that's when the kids are coming up to the knees. And they're like saying, I, I want attention. I, could we play together? And daddy is tired. It's understandable. It's, I'm not trying to say it's not understandable. It is understandable. After the natural, it makes total sense. And I know. I, I've gone through those same uh, reasonings in my own mind. It's like, oh, boy, how in the world am I? 
You know what? When I sit down, and if ever I start to feel that tiredness, you know what the first thing I do? Stand right back up. Nope, nope. Uh, I say this all the time. For those of you that have heard me say this, just bear with me. I say, no. All the time. If you were to stay inside of my inner life, uh, you would hear this all the time. No. 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 It's like one of those little kids, you know, they learn the word no. I'm like a big kid with the word no. But I'm not saying no to God. I'm not saying no to his word. I'm not saying no to any proper authority structure in my life. I'm saying no to temptation. And that temptation for me is tiredness. Eric, you've been really working hard here. You've had a lot of bad things come your way. I mean, you really haven't gotten any sleep in quite a few nights. And you know what? Your kids are going to wake up at, you know, 6 in the morning tomorrow. And so if you don't get your sleep right now, I mean, you need those two hours. No. God is asking me to do something right now, and I'm going to be fully alert for it, and I'm going to be fully available. And I trust that he will give me everything I need to do it. And I will be strong tomorrow. Just watch, enemy. I have always been strong the next day. I have so many testimonies of this, because this has been four years in the training. Four years ago, God started training me in this. He's like, do you trust me? Do you trust me that if I ask you to stay up tonight and pray with me, Eric, that I'll give you everything you need for tomorrow? Because that's my thing. I start to get tired at 9.30 at night. Why? Because I'm mathematical, and I'm already starting to figure numbers and how many hours of sleep I need to be healthy the next day. And if I don't have that much sleep, then my immune system is going to be weak, and I'm going to be vulnerable the next day. I'll probably get sick. And God says, shut up. (laughs) Is that me talking to you, Eric, or is that your flesh talking to you? You have reasoned out how life can work. And I'm telling you that you obey me. You seek first my kingdom. I take care of all of those details. If I ask you to stay up, I know you need energy tomorrow. I know you have kids. I know you have a wife. I know you have a ministry. So you trust me. Do you, Eric? Okay, I, I do. And now if you ask me, Do I trust my God that if he asks me to do something, that he will give me everything I need to do it? Absolutely. Without hesitation. But how did I find that out? By trusting him when I was a little wobbly going, okay, it's getting really late here. God, you still want me to do this? God will train us in a Gethsemane to prove our weakness, but to also prove his strength. Gethsemane is a proving ground for the nature of Christ. When Christ is entering our life and he says, watch with me. It's uncomfortable. I'm just going to tell you that. And he doesn't ask you every night. But there are nights of Gethsemane in our life where he says, would you watch with me? And he's asking us to give up something that we depend on. Whether that's food, whether that's rest. I don't care what it is. Economic, you know, income. You know, it's like if I don't do that, if I don't take this job, and instead I focus on what you're asking me to do, then how how in the world am I going to make it? Do you trust me, Eric? What I've called you to I will supply everything you need. This is a principle of his kingdom. Okay. Now let's listen to the life of Paul here real quick. Okay, it's because you're complaining about your life and you're saying, you know what, Eric, if you understood my situation, you wouldn't say these things. Okay, let's read Paul then. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in the sea, dangers amongst false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Oh, and if that wasn't enough. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. Okay, now what were you talking about? Your your issues? Paul is the biggest proponent of everything I'm talking about tonight, as you're going to see in just a second, in the Bible. He spends more time on it than probably any other writer. And he says, what are you getting weary for? There's no reason to get weary. You have God. And look at this guy's resume. It's not like he was on a tropical island eating grapes all day going, hey, don't grow weary. This guy lived it. He was tested to the uttermost, and he said, I can have a sleepless night and get right back up. I can be stoned and go right back into the city. There is no downtime for Paul. No downtime. No time of inebriation to his soul. None. He says, no. And that's the other statement I always say. No downtime. No downtime. So if you see me, if you ever were watching me, just watch me throughout the day, like through a spyglass or something, I'll do this. I'm usually saying no downtime to myself. No downtime. 
No downtime. <laughs> because I'll feel it. I'll feel the rush of tiredness. I'll feel the bait, whether it's, a t- whether it's a thought that goes through my head or what. It's like, no. No downtime. No. And I'll say no to thoughts. Because like, thoughts, that's the same thing the enemy's doing. He's hitting us in all sorts of different ways. And he's looking for an avenue in to blur our mind. When you start, pro- you can't, have you ever heard the statement from Martin Luther? You can't keep the gulls from flying overhead, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. Thoughts are going to come. They're going to hit you. A temptation will hit you. What do you do with it? That's the key. If you process it, you are following his bait. But if it comes in, you go, no. And you hit it out of the park. You grab a hold of it, squeeze it to death, stick it in the dungeon of your soul. It's like, okay, any questions? No. This is not the territory. This is not the breeding ground for enemy, enemy, any enemy material. Say no. If you're a guy and you're driving down the road and there's a billboard and you see something, it's not your fault that someone put that billboard there. And it doesn't mean you should never go out into public. However, you need to be, a watch, need to be watchful, sober-minded, and aware. Because if you're not sober and you see that thing, you'll start processing. You see it, you immediately bounce off of it, you say no. You give it no attention, no time. The fact that your eyes saw it isn't the issue. It's that you do not process it. You do not work it over in your mind. If you see it, you move, and you move straight forward. You remain constant and sharp. You're an athlete in the spiritual realms. And you do not tinker with a big pile of chocolate cake. Yes, it might be appetizing. Your body may be attracted to it, but you're an athlete. You move past it. It's going to convict me because I really like chocolate cake. Uh, Okay, here's our Greek word for the day that I will mispronounce. Uh, I think it's, if I was going to try and remember what it actually is, it's ekakeo, ekakeo. That's, that's how it says it online. Uh, and I always say ekakeo, okay? I really like my pronunciation. So uh, that's the uh, authorized Eric version, ekakeo. But I'm, I'm so used to saying it, we'll just use it that way. But you can get the real translation for it, the real pronunciation. This is what it means. Now, my definition is spiritual flab. You're an athlete, and you're carrying a big, you know, bulbous weight around your your midsection and you're called into battle and that thing's going bloom 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 as as you're doing it it's slowing you down and it's hindering you flab is not healthy for battle that's why you go through boot camp you work it off so that you'll be honed and ready we have flab in our minds we have flab in our souls it deadens us that is part of what removes our sobriety It's part of what removes our ability to focus is our flab. God wants to deal with it. This is what the Greek is. It means empty of the fighting spirit. It's exhaustion. It's weariness. It's tiredness. It's faintness. You you have that weakness that you feel. It's like, I am so exhausted in this battle. I'm so tired of this. Why isn't God coming through? Don't buy it. Don't spend another moment processing that. That is not from God. God is not the one who is breeding a weariness within you. It's the enemy who baits you with it. You, you think it's all natural. It's not all natural. You know that you'll get tired even if you're, you've had a good night's sleep? You'll get tired because the enemy is saying, this is hard, isn't it? This is really hard. You know, you have a, you have a, a justifiable reason to give a, a little room to self-pity right now. You give room to self-pity, you start to get tired. Depression, what, what happens when you're in depression? You don't want to get out of bed. You sleep all day long tiredness, there's natural tiredness, but then there's also a spiritual tiredness. And it comes over you and you begin to bait, you follow the bait of the enemy to say, start taking care of yourself. And you start to turn inward to protect yourself, almost like a cocoon. I can't handle this. I can't handle this. Don't buy it. God can handle it in and through you. Do not follow the enemy's bait inward. You stand there and you say, no, no. And you call on your king to deal with the matter. Okay, let's read this. First of all, this is the great scripture. And some of you have heard me talk on Pazdaman. And this is, this is Pazdaman, okay? Pazdaman, a little uh, parcel of barley and beans on the outer uh, edge of the promised land. And an entire Philistine army was moving against it. And it says, all of Israel fled. And David stood. And Eleazar and Shammah, two mighty men, stood with him to fight against an entire Philistine host. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. 
Would you like that name? Eric, the son of Dodo. Uh, one of the three, I, I would take it. If I could be one of David's mighty men, I would allow God to rename me Eric, the son of Dodo. Could you imagine? I have to put that on my books uh, from now on. It's like God saying, if you really want to be a mighty man, that's the exchange we're making. You have to be Eric, the son of Dodo from now on. Uh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were gathered there together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. Now, you're gonna, if, if you've been in ministry for any length of time, you're going to recognize what this is. You're fighting, and the odds are impossible. Okay, an entire Philistine army against three. And Eleazar's poor hand is growing weary in the battle. Could you imagine what it would be like to fight an entire army? They're all around you. You're fighting just constantly, all day long. Blood is spurting everywhere. I mean, your hand, it's justifiable. I mean, it's an understatement of understatements that his hand grew weary. Ah, no, that's just what happens. But look what he does. And his hand clave under the sword. Well, what does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, that means to burn. It burned under the sword. He resolved. It's a, it's a statement of resolution. Your hand is growing weary, and he goes, no. Ugh. And he rekindles that drive, and he says, I am doing this for my king. And then listen to the next line. One of the greatest understatements in the entire Bible. And the Lord wrought a great victory that day. Like, was that all you're going to give us? Well, is that it? And the Lord wrought a great victory. What happened? Three men stood up to fight for the territory of God against impossible odds. They grew weary, yes, but they didn't accept the weariness. Instead, they burned their hand into the hilt of the sword, and they defied it. And the Lord wrought a great victory. And the re people returned after him only to spoil. Okay, this all is talking about Kekio. Okay, the rest of these things. Listen to 2 Corinthians. This is Paul. Okay, the guy we read about above that is going through ra a rather difficult version of life on planet Earth. And he says, for which cause the glory of God, we faint not. We don't give any room to a keikio. We are athletes and we do not give any room to weariness. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Yeah, our bodies are falling apart. Yeah, we're physically tired, but we faint not. Okay, let's read the next one. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We give no room to Akekio. None. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we don't give any space to a keikyo. You have to kick it out. You have to say, no, not here. Not this body. I am God's servant, and there's a job that needs to be done. I'm going to remain constant and sharp and plugged in always. But ye, brethren, give no space to a keikyo in your well-doing. As you're doing all this good stuff, do not grow weary in it. Do not buy the bait. Stay focused and strong. And Jesus, this is speaking of Jesus, and he spoke a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Well, that's an extreme statement. Always to pray. First of all, that's rather difficult, right? And not to faint. This is Jesus. He's saying, I made you. I know what I've called you to. And I want you to be constant in your communion with me always plugged in, and you are to never faint, never to grow weary. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? Doesn't he realize he packages us in human form? Doesn't he realize that our bodies need to faint every now and then? Well, he knows it, but he also knows what he gave us on the cross, and he knows, he knows that he's invested himself into the picture that anyone who calls in the name of Christ has everything they need for life and godliness, and this is godliness. This is what it is. Sharp, sober mind, constantly watchful. There's an enemy out there, he says to us, and you shouldn't be its lunch. My children are supposed to be strong and solid and focused always. Doesn't that sound rather tiring just in and of itself? It's like, oh, I just, some of you are already thinking, you're, I, I'm just craving a movie as Eric's talking about it. <laughs> Why is that? Isn't that fascinating? We are afraid to let go of our escape. 
We were afraid to cut off the lifeboat. Remember when Paul was on his way to Rome, middle of a storm? They had to throw everything overboard. And God says, you will be saved. But they had to throw everything overboard. They threw all, what's the good of a ship, a merchant ship, if it doesn't like, have goods to trade? They had to give up everything. Doesn't that sound like Christianity? Uh, you'll be saved, but you have to give it all up. Throw it all overboard. Well, God, this is all I have. Uh-huh. Give it all up. You'll be saved. And then they did it all. They, they threw it all overboard. And then God pointed out one more thing. <clears throat> you see that lifeboat down there? Cut it. Cut, cut, cut the lifeboat? Were you expecting to use it? I told you I was going to save you. Why do you think you need to turn to anything else? Why do you need to have the backup plan? Why do you need your escape? Why do you need anything beyond me? At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you not believe that? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know that I can trust that you're any better than a movie. I don't know that I can trust that you're better than the sports, you know, the ball game. I don't know that I can trust that. God will save you when you're willing to cut that and to not look for that escape hatch. To say, oh, if I just have that, I have to have my movie. I know how difficult this is. When I walked through this process, it was, it was painful to say, to cut off that escape hatch and to say, in that moment, when I would typically get in that little, you know, boat that's attached to, to the bigger ship and sail off into a movie for two hours, that I turn to Jesus. And I say, well, I don't know what this looks like, God, but I'm going to spend the time that I was going to escape on you. It's, it's a little awkward because we're not used to it. We're used to the escape. Instead, I was on Jesus. Less than I would take every morning and every night. We averaged, it was around three hours a day of prayer because we were taking our margins and we were devoting it to God and it turned our world upside down. I remember I went to King Zoopers in the midst of this. It was about a month in and I was doing pretty well. You know, I was feeling really strong. I was loving it. And then I walked down the aisle in King Zoopers and there was some buttered popcorn, microwavable stuff. Oh. And I was having flashbacks of what it would be like to sit down and watch a movie. I mean, it was really hard. Because it wasn't that a movie was the problem. But God was saying, could you fast? Could you remove this so I could prove myself to you? Buttered popcorn. Sitting on the couch. Cuddling up with Leslie and watching a movie. I don't have to be just like walking around praying all intensely. I could do that. And then over the intercom, it started talking about Spider-Man 3 was out. And I really liked Spider-Man 1 and 2. And it was like, Spider-Man 3? <sighs> Spider-Man through popcorn. Uh, I mean, it was killing me. And God, it was like, it was like I was walking the gauntlet or something, and God was saying, where do you stand? Where do you stand? Do you trust me? Are you looking for that escape hatch again? And God is faithful. There are pleasures at his right hand, and they are forevermore. Uh, look at this last one. Paul, quote, unquote, pray without ceasing. Most of us don't have a clue what that means, which shows you how far removed we are from any of this stuff. We don't even, I mean, we have a tough time going, I, I pray without ceasing. I, doesn't he mean pray five minutes a day? Pray without ceasing is the exact opposite of that. It's like, do you have five minutes a day that you're not praying? Uh-oh. I mean, you, you see what I mean by that? We're, we're thinking about praying five minutes a day and checking it off our list, and God's saying, no, the whole thing is me. The whole life is me. You build your life around me. You don't try and fit me in. You're building your life around you, your priorities, your objectives. You're not building it around me. You build it around me. It works. I was, uh, and I, I, some of you have heard me give this little uh, story. It's a, it's a pretty funny one. Uh, I was, a couple years ago, I had been so intensely praying. For so long. I mean, when you're averaging hours in prayer a day, there is a little thing that the enemy tried to do to me. He was very effective. And that is, you've been doing this a long time. You know, God would understand if you sort of took a step back. Or at least took a breather. You could still pray every day, but lessen it a little. It's perfectly reasonable. All of you are sitting there going, yeah, absolutely. Do it, Eric, because you're convicting me by the fact that you're, you're praying that much. And so I found myself beginning to coast a little. I was still praying. And Leslie was out of town at this time. And I'd been coasting for a couple weeks now. Okay? 
And, you know, still praying, uh, you know, quite a bit, but not as intensely. I was sort of taking a, you know, like a a sabbatical uh, from my intense season. And Leslie was out of town. I was home alone, so I was going to get something done. I love to get things done. And so my kids were gone. Leslie was gone. So I was working all day long. All those tasks that I can never get done when a whole family's around. So I'm getting it all done. I'm feeling that juicy satisfaction of accomplishment. And it's getting late. I usually get to bed around 9.30. I start to get tired at 9.30. And it's like 11. And so I'm way past my bedtime. I mean, this is really late for Eric Luby. And right about that time, you know, I'm, I'm getting into bed. And I am so tired because I was really working hard that day. And my pillow's behind me. And I'm laying back on it, and oh, oh, I was so tired. It was that, you know that feeling where you're being sucked into your pillow? And so it's like, oh, and it's almost painful. It's right at that level of being painful because you're just almost too tired, and it's, it's painful. And so I'm at that point, and I actually have this thought. Boy, am I glad God's not asking me to stay up and pray tonight. Those are the type of thoughts you never want to have go through your head. Uh, but it went through my head, and I was just sinking into the pillow. And right at that exact moment, this is going to sound terrible. It's gonna, I don't want to misrepresent God in his nature when I say this. But God asked me at this exact point in time, Eric, <clears throat> actually, I would like you to stay up and pray tonight. And I rebuked it. I wasn't very happy with such a notion. I knew God wouldn't do that to me because he knew how deep into a sleep I was. I was being sucked in. There's no way I could stay up tonight, and he knows that. And I fell asleep. Doesn't that sound terrible? That's not the end of the story, but that's what happened. I fell asleep. In the middle of the night, I have a dream. I have always longed to try out for the Denver Broncos. Don't find too much satisfaction in this story. But, uh, I, you know, I'm not built like a football player. As my mom used to always say, I'm built more like a golfer. And, but I have good hands. I can catch anything, right? And so I knew that I could be one of those, you know, slow white receivers, you know, for the Broncos. I mean, they've had Steve Watson. They've had Ed McCaffrey. And, yeah, they're a little taller than me. But, hey, I think I could do it. If they just gave me a shot. You ever had that? Of course, if you ever got in there, you got hit by one, you know, linebacker. You'd, I'd be laying there just flat out dead. <laughs> But you always dream that way, okay? So here I am in a dream. And guess what? After all these years, the Broncos finally noticed me. And they called me to training camp to actually try out for the team. It happened. I couldn't believe it. I am bewildered, and I'm thinking to myself, you've got to be kidding. I'm not in shape. I was not in shape. I had been training for 20 years of my life straight all all the time. I mean, five days a week at least. And now suddenly, out of nowhere, I'm out of shape. You know, Hudson was born. It threw me out of my rhythm. I wasn't, you know, toned. And the Broncos asked me for a tryout. I am not in shape. I'm I'm doing the the drills. and (gasps) And I'm like bent over. I'm totally making a fool of myself, humiliating the name of Eric Lutie. And, of course, you know, I I didn't make the team. Uh, It was horrible. Okay, the whole dream hung over me when I woke up. And I was frustrated. I was mad. It's like, why didn't they give me some time? If they'd given me a year advance notice, I could have been ready, and I could have shown them that I would have been Bronco material. Oh, have you ever had that where you're just sort of upset? A ridiculous dream. Okay, so I'm in the bathroom because Leslie's not there. By myself, brushing my teeth. And, you know, wondering why they didn't forewarn me that I would be, you know, trying out. And God just used the moment. He just captured it in a bottle for me right in front of me. He says, there it is. Eric, I am training you. And I have my day when I call you, when my Omaha Beach or my training camp, the day of proving comes, you have to be sharp and you have to be ready. Yes, sure, you were ready a year ago, but I need you ready every day because my testing and my opportunities, the day when you need to be standing as a man in this generation, you don't know when it's going to come. You may have had oil in your lamp last year, but you need oil in your lamp today. Remember the ten virgins? Five of them, all ten had oil, but five of them just ran out. Hey, it's not their fault. They did have it at one time. But they had to get more right when the bridegroom was coming. Eric, I need you to be sharp. I need you to be sound. I need you to be watchful. I need you to be sober and ready. 
every day, every day, God was poking at some flab. I had literally begun to coast, and some flab began to grow. And guess what? He showed me that night he asked me to stay up, and I was right there pulling a Peter. I was pulling a Peter, and I'm the one that preaches on this. Because it doesn't matter who you are and what you preach on. It matters how you're living. It matters what's going on inside of you. Are you sharp? Are you sober? It doesn't, I could say all this stuff and then go home and just fall asleep again tonight. This message is always deeply convicting to me. It's not that I have this all figured out and I'm like, and all of you. This is the message for all of us to stay sharp and sober all the way through the battle. All the way to the end. What good is it for Eric Ludy to give his younger years to Jesus Christ with radical abandon only to fade down the stretch and to coast and get fat in the end and to run out of all the oil in his lamp? What kind of testimony is that to anyone in this generation? It doesn't give glory to Jesus Christ. God has a commission upon my life. He has a commission upon you. He has a commission upon this church. And he's saying, let's get the flab out of here. Let's be sharp as individuals so that we'll be sharp as a body. Could you imagine if all of us were sharp? Imagine this. Just, this is just a concept. But imagine that God wanted to speak to our community. Not just to one of us, but to all of us. And so say in the middle of the night, one of these nights, he wakes us up. And he speaks the exact same thing to all of us. Because we're all ready. We're all open-eared. We're all flabless. We hear the same, and we all start praying for one thing. And we see it happen. We come together. We compare notes. We were all up praying for the same thing. You know what that does? It builds faith. It builds a confidence that God is working in his body. And he's working in this world. We don't see it because we're flabby. We're not sensitive. One of us might be sensitive one day and then we get flabby the next. The other person starts to get honed. And they start hearing things. And the next thing they start getting flabby again. We go up and down. We need to stay sharp. This is a long-term battle. It's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. We run it for the long haul. And the race is not yet finished. We need to be sharp. Let's finish with this scripture here. I call this little subsection, stronger and stronger. So David waxed greater and greater, for the Lord of hosts was with him. These also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had who strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom and with all Israel to make him king according to the word of the Lord concerning Israel. First of all, I think that's just one of the coolest scriptures uh, out there. Uh, David waxed. Well, you know, that's a King Jamesy word, I have to admit, but it's, I, it's really good. I love the word waxed. David waxed greater and greater. David became greater and greater. David started out a shepherd boy. He was a nothing he wasn't even invited to the party when, Jesse, when Samuel came into the camp to choose the next king. He was not king material in his dad's eyes or in his brother's eyes. Even in Samuel's eyes. And God says, he's my guy. Insignificant. Does that resonate with you at all? Insignificant. That's how David starts. David, a picture of God at work on planet Earth. God loves to choose the insignificant ones. He, this story is all built for us. For us to see, to, for us to understand how Christianity works. This is David waxed greater and greater. Also, he's anointed on the hills of Bethlehem with Samuel's ram's horn dumped on top of his head. And suddenly he's a king. Yeah, but he's sent out to the sheep again because no one acknowledges him a king. But something is within him. There is life within him. It's not fully matured yet, but it's there. And so a lion comes traipsing in and steals one of his sheep. And this king in the making rises up and goes after him and breaks the lion's jaw and takes back his, his lamb. David took on a lion with his bare hands. That's just the beginning. Oh, then he takes on a bear. Then he takes on the greatest warrior in his entire generation. He's waxing greater and greater and greater. Then it says Saul slew his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Then it says that he leaps over a wall. He runs into a troop. He takes on an entire Philistine army. This guy is something else. He was waxing stronger, stronger, greater and greater. What is this a pattern for? This is a pattern for Christ within us. 
David, the rightful king of Israel, growing stronger and stronger and greater and greater within us. See, listen to what it says here. This is the reason I picked this scripture. It says, these are also are the chief of the mighty men whom David had. Now, one of my dreams is to be numbered among the mighties. Now, there was only 37 of them. So it's sort of ridiculous for Eric to be talking like that. But hey, a guy can dream. I dreamed to be, you know, try out for the Broncos. Hey, in the middle of the night, I got the opportunity. What a privilege to be. David had thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands of troops, but there was only 37 mighties. Oh, what would it be like to be called to be among one of those? But what kind of life do you expect to live? What type of life should you expect to have to live? If you were one of David's mighties, you lived in a cave. You were on the run. You were one of the hunted in Israel. Who wants that? Not many. Not many. Everyone wants to be a mighty, but very few want what it takes to become a mighty. It says of the mighty men, they strengthened themselves with him in his kingdom. There's your secret right there. You know that David's mighty men, when it talks about the exploits of what they did, it's exactly what their king did. It's exactly what David did. They killed lions and bears. They killed giants. They rooted armies. Joshobium, the Tachmanite, slew 300 single-handedly. Then he went out and killed 800 single-handedly. You know how many that is? And I've said this before, if any of you have heard me talk about Joshobium. It's one thing to take on five. Could you imagine if we found out that Mike Hahn had taken on five guys in a back alley by himself? You know how impressive that would be? If Mike, now we're like, well, that's because he's so big. You know, he could do it. But imagine, you know, if, if we said that Eric Ludi did it. You know, then it's like, are you serious? <laughs> I'd have a little strut for a while after that. Uh, Okay, because Eric Ludy doesn't take on five guys in a back alley. That is not naturally possible, okay? That isn't how things work, you know? And so, five. Well, how about 25? What if you found out that I'd taken on 25 single-handedly? You know how logistically challenging that is to figure out how you're going to beat 25 guys? They're all coming at you. And these are warriors, by the way. All the men that these mighties fought were armed men. They were trained men for battle. These weren't like women in shell. They were going out and... <laughs> trained men, 25 against one. What are the odds? They surround me. How in the world am I going to pull this off? You know, we think of like Jason Bourne, you know that one. And he's doing these karate chop types of things. You know, he can spin around and do all these moves. This is impossible, 25 against one. We're talking 800 against one. Oh God. Samson took on a thousand with a jawbone of a donkey. A jawbone of a donkey isn't that good of a, a tool. We're like, oh yeah, I'd need a jawbone of a donkey too. No, you don't want a jawbone of a donkey. It doesn't have a very long reach. <laughs> yeah, what you want, you want some claymore in your hand. You know, something that sticks out 15 feet. And you're like, Ooh. Said a little jawbone of a donkey has a little rounded edge to it. You're just like, okay, what am I going to do with this thing? All right. This is not a good situation. He slew a thousand by himself. Do you realize who it is that lives within you? He that is in you is greater than he that is in this world. Do you see the mountain that surrounds you full of horses and chariots of fire? Do you see it? Because if you do, you will rise up in the strength of the most mighty one and live this life with a fury. To say no downtime. No, the enemy is not going to have any access to the territory that he has purchased on the cross. My God has purchased the life of Eric Ludi. And it is my singular job to stand and say no. No, not on my watch. This is God's territory. This is God's mind. This is God's heart. And he is going to use it for his purposes. To bring glory to his name. That's our job. Our job isn't to go and find an escape somewhere and to feed ourselves. Our job is to feed his glory so that this world will see him. And we can too wax greater and greater and stronger and stronger in the living God of Israel. I love it. I love this stuff. Let's pray. Lord, we all have our reasons why we're tired. 
We all have our reasons why we want to escape into a video world, why we want to escape into a video game, why we want to escape into drugs and alcohol. We all have our reasons, and they're justifiable in the natural realm. And our friends could comfort us and empathize with us. Yes, we realize that. But that isn't what we are called to as Christians. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would turn to you. We would turn to no other thing. We would turn to you. We would learn to find our satisfaction, our replenishment, our strength, our confidence in you. And we will be lifted up with wings as eagles. And we will walk and not faint and run and not grow weary. Lord Jesus, that you would do this work within us. That this poetry of the Old Testament would become very real reality within us today. This would be tangible truth, promises gained and accessed and acquired and reckoned as so within us. Lord Jesus, we love you. For your glory, for your fame, and for your renown, we pray. Amen.